Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. this morning. Thank you so much for being at First Baptist Barberville today. We have got a lot to be thankful for as we go into Thanksgiving week. And one of those things that we have to be thankful for, we'll be talking about this morning, is the fact, as you see in the title of the sermon, He's coming. Jesus is coming back. And it's something we don't talk about a whole lot, but we're reminded of that this morning from James chapter 5. We're, we're really coming close Drawing close to the end of this little book of James. Have you, have you enjoyed James? Have you gotten anything out of James? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It, it cuts us deep, right? James really does not pull any punches, but it, it hurts in such a good way. It, it helps us grow. Last week, James reminded us of the big picture that whatever we're going through in our lives... Uh, despite what's going on around us, we need to trust God. We need to trust God's plan. We need to trust His will for us, for all of humanity, for our lives. And we can certainly trust Him and His plans because, as we said, God is nothing but good. He is a good Father, and He loves us and cares for us. And His plans are good. And in that, God can take even the worst event in your life, the worst thing that you've ever experienced or that's ever happened to you. He can take everything, as the Bible says, that the enemy meant for evil and work it out and use it for good. He can even take the dirtiest mess that we make and forgive us and restore us and make, as the Bible also says, something beautiful from those ashes. This morning, James builds on the theme of keeping the big picture in mind. And here we will see that James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, the James the Just, the former unbeliever of who Jesus was, old camel knees, as he's been called, tells us, do not forget that Jesus Christ himself is coming back. Isn't it cool that James even believed in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Anyway, James doesn't use this, uh, the fact that Christ is coming, to scare us. I remember growing up hearing these old country preachers and they'd preach about Jesus coming back and you'd be left behind and you're just, you're going to be, have to go through all this terrible stuff when Jesus comes back because you're not ready to go. And I'll be honest with you, it scared me to death hearing about the second coming of Jesus Christ for a long time. James does not do that. Matter of fact, none of the apostles present the second coming in that way. It's actually used as a point of, of encouragement. Uh, there was a missionary named Greg Fisher, and he wrote about a question he received when he was teaching West African Bible college students. And these students in, in Western Africa, they're always concerned about the smallest details in Scripture. And one of them asked him this question one day, said, uh, Teacher, what will he say when he shouts? He says, Teacher, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command or a loud shout. I want to know what that shout will be. And Greg Fisher didn't really want to dive into that and speculate and, and make some assumptions about things. It's just really not clear in Scripture. But then he said his mind began to wander. 
And he went back and he began to reimagine all the scenes that he had seen in these refugee camps that he'd been working in. And he began to think about all the beggars that he passed every day on his way to his office or to the classroom to teach these students. He thought about the, the poverty and the toll that that's taken on all these people. He thought about the violence, the sickness, the death, just the, the hopelessness. And then the student said again, he said, Reverend, you haven't answered my question. What will Jesus say? And Fisher said, enough. He will say, enough. And the student was surprised. He said, teacher, what do you mean? He'll say, enough. He said, I think Jesus will say, enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough Death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and disease, enough evil, enough sin, enough time, enough is enough. You see, that's the hope that Christ's coming brings with it. It doesn't have to be something that we we're afraid of, that we dread or we fear, but it is John says it's something we need to long for in our hearts and look forward to. As we faithfully serve him. So James does, however, give us three warnings this morning. Three cautions or commands surrounding the Lord's return. Let's look at James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Talking about the Lord's return. James says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Here's where our focus is. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You've heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. Now, looking back, James has been pretty hard on the, the wealthy, right? And it's not just because of their wealth, but James has seen the dangers in, in someone who is wealthy becoming greedy and losing focus on what's most important in life, especially with everything else is at stake. So the first warning James gives us here is from the first six verses, and that is for us, don't be idolatrous with your wealth. James talks about the problem with this blinding materialism that, that a lot of us suffer for. And as he, he discussed last week, this leads us to very pridefully disregard the will of God in our lives. 
And it helps us to lose sight of what's truly most important in life when we're blinded by materialism. And James very clearly reminds us that all these material things, these things we work for all our lives, these things that we put our enjoyment into that honestly we began to idolize, all of that, the wealth, the things, the money, the houses, the cars, all of that stuff one day is going to waste away. You're going to leave this world and guess what? It's going to stay here. And it's not going to be worth anything. And what he's saying is if you've placed your faith and your hope in these things and you have wasted your life in the, in the pursuit of only these things, that these things themselves one day, James says, will stand as a witness against you. That you've invested yourself, your time, your energy, your talents in worthless material objects and along the way have forsaken people and the Lord himself. But James is not, again, he's not just condemning wealth. He's condemning greed and the many sins that go with a greedy heart. I believe, and I think James would even agree with this, that great good can be accomplished with great wealth. However, most of us, if we were wealthy, would be tempted to use that for our own good. But James points out that many allow this greed to overtake them. He says, you've withheld pay. You've indulged yourself, you've condemned, you've murdered, all for your own game. And if your stuff, all of these idols that you've built up over the course of your life, is all that you have to show when you stand before the Lord, he says, you'll be judged rather harshly, and they will testify against you. Now, listen, I know this is a tough lesson for we Americans to hear in 2021 here in the Western world, uh, because this has become our culture, right? Right? We are so driven by a greed that accumulates stuff. That We hoard up money. We hoard up 401ks. We hoard up big houses and just stuff. It's really part of the American dream. And I know that hurts to hear. But this dream that we have where it's all about us and what we can get is very, very self-centered. Pastor John Piper wrote this. He said, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. Consider this story from a Reader's Digest. He said, a couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast. He was 59 and she was 51. And now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. Now, I'm not going to lie. When I read that, I thought, man, that sounds kind of nice, right? And that's kind of what we work for. But here's what he went on to say. He said, picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. And what will they say? Look, Lord, look at my seashells. <laughs> what a waste. He says, this is a tragedy. And the lesson for us is that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't not be productive or even ambitious. But the lesson is for us, as James has already said, don't allow those selfish ambitions to lead you into idolatry where we get so wrapped up in the material that we lose sight of what's truly most important, that we lose sight of our role in making Christ known throughout the world, that we lose sight of the fact that so many people all around us every day are dying and going to hell for all of eternity because they don't know Christ and we didn't help them know Him. So we have to stay focused and we have to remember His return could be at any moment. Jesus could come before we make it to our soup dinner tonight. I hope he waits till after that, but he could. We just, we just don't know. But the second warning James gives us goes along with that thought, and that is don't be impatient with waiting. How many people are good at waiting? One person said they're good at waiting. 
We're not. We're very impatient naturally. Now, while Christ's return is imminent, it could be at any moment, any day, any hour. It could be at any time. We have to understand that we may have to wait. And while we wait, we may have to endure some things in our waiting. And it's likely that some of James's listeners, as he's talking about these hardships brought on by the wealthy, it's likely that James' listeners were probably some of those that suffered under the hand of those greedy people. He tells them, brothers and sisters, be patient. We could probably stop there and just focus on that lesson, right? Be patient. But then he says, strengthen your hearts. Because the Lord's coming is near. We have to live like Christ could come at any moment. But we also have to realize that even since James gave these words of encouragement, some 2,000 years have passed. And while the Lord could return again before we even leave this place, it may be his plan that we have to wait just a little bit longer. And in the meantime, James gives us three examples of faithful patience that we must follow. We're not supposed to just sit idly by waiting for the Lord to come back. There's things that we do in the meantime. It's an active waiting. First, he says, we're supposed to be like the farmer in verse 7. Now, I get this illustration. I like this one. He says the farmer works and the farmer is patient, trusting in a later harvest. The farmer, think about it. Fixes the ground, cultivates the ground, plants the seed, cultivates the crop, tends to the crop faithfully day in, day out. Dependently relies on the Lord to bring sunshine and to bring rain. And eventually, sometime down the road, the farmer reaps the fruit of their labor. Likewise, like the farmer, we're to work while we wait. We are to patiently serve the Lord and build his kingdom and plant the seed and and reap the harvest until he comes again. And when he comes again, we should be like the farmer out here in the fields being found faithful, working and serving the Lord. Likewise, James says in verse 10, we're to be like the prophet. The prophets spoke God's truth. They proclaimed God's word. And oftentimes they were persecuted for that. A lot of times the prophets preached God's truth and they got no results from their preaching. But they faithfully fulfilled that calling God had given them to preach and proclaim His truth. Likewise, we even today are to be good stewards, faithful stewards of the truth. It is our job as the church to proclaim the gospel message to every tongue and tribe and nation. And, and while we wait for Him, we may suffer for that. We may be persecuted. We may be ridiculed for it. You may lose friends over that. But as followers of Christ, we are called, all of us, not just me, the preacher. We are all called to preach and proclaim the gospel of Christ until the whole world hears or Christ comes back. Lastly, we're to to be like Job in verse 11. I said last week I, I thought James was a student of Job. Job endured incredible hardship. Job went through more than most of us can even wrap our minds around. But his endurance, James says, was met with God's mercy and his compassion. And even though Job had to endure, again, more than most of us will ever endure, James reminds us that the outcome that the Lord brought, that God, the things that God did was so incredible in Job's life. The, the, the latter of Job's life was so much greater than the former. It was, in Job's perspective, probably worth the wait. It was probably worth the pain. It was worth enduring everything that he had to endure. Likewise, many of us will have to endure 
some very difficult things in life. James has already taught this. We don't have to go back and, and dive into this. It's just the facts of life. While we're waiting on the Lord to come back and call us home, a lot of life is going to happen. We're going to have to endure pain. We're going to have to endure loss and endure sickness and endure hurt and betrayal. But James says very clearly, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. It's like that old song, lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. There's another old song that you're probably familiar with. It puts it this way. It says, Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Because just one glimpse of Him in glory <laughs> will the toils of life repay. So don't grow impatient with your day. Don't grow impatient with your life. Don't grow impatient with your service to the Lord don't grow impatient on waiting for the Lord. And don't grow impatient in the middle of suffering. But as James says, let even your suffering habits full effect. So that when Christ does come, as James said in chapter 1, you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Not standing before Him with buckets of seashells and wasted material wealth, but standing before the Lord, as He says, rich in faith. Lastly, we come to verse 12. James warns us, don't be idolatrous with wealth. Don't be impatient with waiting. But lastly, he reminds us, don't be inconsistent with your witness. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, verse 12, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Now, what's interesting here is James is reiterating something that's already been taught in the Bible. Guess who taught this very thing? His half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, taught these very words on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, and essentially, you don't have to swear an oath. You just need to live in such a way that your word means something. That people know your life. They know your word. That your yes is yes, your no is no. They can look at you and know without a doubt where you stand. Your witness, your reputation, your character all precedes you. And no one has to wonder what kind of person you are or even if you're a Christ follower. I like people like that. I like having a conversation with somebody and you know really quick where you stand with them. If they like you or not. I can handle that. We need more Christians like that. Men and women who are not ashamed of Christ. Men and women who are not ashamed of the gospel, who are not afraid to stand up for the principles and values of God's word, no matter what that costs us in the workplace, no matter what our government has to say about it, people that are steadfast and solid and consistent in their faith. We don't need any more fence travelers, folks. We don't need Christians that are just Christians in name only or cultural Christians, but we need people who openly and boldly and faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what's troubling. James says, live this way so that you won't fall under judgment. Now, Jesus, going back to this same teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, on that day, talking about the day of judgment when he comes, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you lawbreakers. You see, they serve Jesus with their lips. They serve Jesus with their hands, but they never gave Jesus their heart. They didn't really know Jesus. So what about you? Here's the application of all this that we're talking about. First of all, do the people in your life, the people at your job, the people at your school, the people in your family, do they even know that you are a, a Christian? And if they know that much, do they know what kind of Christian you are? Do you really know Jesus this morning? Or are you one of these folks that you're a Christian in name only? Do you really, truly know Jesus and have a relationship with Him? Have you grown impatient with life? Have you grown impatient waiting on the Lord and what He's going to do next and when He's coming back and what He wants to do with you? And you've struggled with all the things you've had to do in the meantime. Have you grown tired of of serving? Has your heart grown cold in what you've been trying to do for the Lord? Have you lost sight of what's most important and, and become so just, just consumed by the pursuit of happiness and material things and you've lost your focus on God? In light of what James says, I think it is pertinent to ask, are you afraid of Christ's return? Does it scare you to think he might come back this afternoon. If it does, then you need to get right with the Lord because I'll be honest with you, I absolutely can't wait for Jesus to come back. And as the church, we need to make that one of our uh, driving thoughts is we, we're looking forward to Jesus coming. He's coming. Listen, He's closer today than He's ever been in history to coming back. And we should be excited about that. Because when he does come back and he puts the final touches on history, for us, it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to fear. For the very first time, everything is going to be made right. And he's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, again, we thank you for the many challenges that that James gives us. Lord, as glorious and exciting as your return is, and we look forward to that. God, it's such a reminder, sober reminder, that there's work to do. That when you come back, we don't need to be found just sitting idly by, just twiddling our thumbs, waiting. We need to be found faithful. Lord, we need to be reminded that between now and the time that you step through the door, we have got to reach as many as we can. Lord, we've got to reach them before it's too late. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts. Let us know that time is of the essence. That it's shorter now than it's ever been. And God, if someone's here this morning and they've lost sight of 
how important that is, how important it is to be a Christian and, and we're weak in our faith. God, I pray today that as James says, our hearts would be strengthened. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you this morning, that's just not ready, should you come back, God, I pray they'd be saved today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we sing a song of invitation, if the Lord's dealing with you, there's a decision you need to make. You need to be saved, or you just want to come and pray, or you want to come and pray for someone else. This altar is open. Why don't you come this morning as we sing? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.